0: Hi everybody, Stefan Molyneux back with Bill the Whittle. Uh, for our New Year's resolution to um, save the world one syllable at a time. Uh, good to chat with you again, Bill.
1: It's great to be here again. Um, and, you know, it's a new year. And I think the one thing we can all agree on out there is that now that the amazing power of government has been harnessed to make sure that there's none of these economic fluctuations and, and none of those superfluous opinions lying around. You don't know, I don't know really why you need so many opinions about things. I think 2016 is going to be nothing but smooth sailing to the horizon. And I think everybody in the country feels exactly the same way.
0: Well of course I took a new year's resolution to find a government program that works and um I feel I have more chance with that than I do concentrating to grow hair out of my <laughs> elbows uh, i'm working on it nice nothing week, yet i nice save. nothing yet, <laughs> nothing yet. <laughs> but um or, or maybe just willing the unibrow yeah because yeah. i feel that would be the compensation the yeah. for the uh lack on top but uh yeah it's uh it's starting off with a bang i i don't know about you bill but i sort of feel like i've been doing this stuff for i guess about 10 years now and it feels like we're in a time of significant acceleration. Uh, before, I sort of had the feeling that we could make the reasoned case over time yeah, and gently sway the world Reels towards are coming re- off. With the, 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 yeah, it feels fuses like, fuses holy crap.
1: The short. I'm with you. I couldn't agree more. Uh, yeah, I think before we get into the topic today, I think there's, there's a real um, – uh, one of the things I've been saying lately at the speaking events I do is that I no longer get the feeling we need to convince – uh, the, the, the country that we're right. I think we just have to give them permission now to say that we're right. Just need to give them the social proof. You know, uh, that social proof is so powerful. Everybody, you know, if you're in a room full of people, most people, anyway, er- we tend to be exceptions because we're out here speaking our mind, but most people in a given room full of people, if they perceive that everybody else is contrary to their own deeply held values, they'll go along with the and nod. They don't want to be seen as, uh, you know, being the only people out there. And I think I think there's just so much anger and so much uh, discontentment and, and just general frustration that uh, rather than having to convince the American people, look, the socialism experiment's not working out. I think we just need to say, no, these people are felons. They're liars. They're incompetent, control freak, evil bastards. And they want all your money and all your power. And they want you to just bow down before their will. I don't think you have to make that case anymore. I think it's going to be more self-evident every day.
0: Yeah, um, I feel that... Um the acceleration of this sort of hunger for control and power combined with the demographic disasters occurring uh, in Europe, where, of course, uh, several hundred young ladies in um, Hamburg and Cologne and other German cities had the rather exciting proctology-style New Year's with our um, Northern African uh, and um, Middle Eastern friends. Yeah, well, that's just uh, it's a, just yeah. a cultural difference,
1: Stefan. It's just a cultural difference that we have. Uh, and free
0: cavity searches, yeah, obviously, and, is and, what diversity just, has sold on. It's
1: part of their culture. And, and we need to accept, it we need to accept it blindly willingly and sheepishly we need to accept that our our, our mothers daughters wives sisters are going to be uh going to be uh groped in a, me- in a in a in a manner that may be inappropriate to us here in the west but should not in any way be construed as being worse or better than whatever their cultural norms should, should be either that or we just start punching these guys in the nose
0: well, there's nothing I think more exciting and uh, that that compels you more than being surrounded by a bunch of squid fingered Middle Easterners who attempt <laughs> to seem to want to disassemble you like a kid with a Lego set and in order quite... to basically ask yourself that basic question: Do I miss white patriarchy yet? I think the answer to a lot of German women is: Yeah, I guess we didn't know how good we had it until we didn't.
1: We're we're gonna uh, we need to have a conversation just about that because I know that's what we're gonna be talking about today. But seriously, um, this uh, this feminist idea that the only way to uh, that what, what you need to do is get rid of masculinity, and by getting rid of masculinity, you get rid of violence and rape and, and all of these crimes and stuff. Uh, somebody's going to start waking up to that pretty quick. It's like, no, actually, all that means is if you get rid of your own uh, masculinity and manhood in good men, there'll be no defense against the bad men. And I think Europe's learning that lesson real fast. And guns are flying off the shelves out there. And uh, even in this country, I think people are starting to wake up to the fact that, uh, no, it's going to we're going to have to and, – and it's going to be on us to breed – Well, not breed. They've already been bred to uh, to uneducate and reeducate entire generation of young men on what manhood actually is and what it actually means. And the good news is they're dying for it. I I did an event uh, not too long ago with Turning Point USA about 300 young conservatives. I was talking just about feminism and and this degradation of of just maleness. And, boy, you want to talk about a ripe topic for um, electoral victories and for people who are pent up and had enough. That's that's a good place to start.
0: Well, and I think that's part of the, uh, the Trump phenomenon as well mm-hmm. is an unapologetic male, mm-hmm. uh, who obviously revels in his masculinity, is willing to call a spade a spade, and seems to pay no more attention to the gnats of social disapproval than the jolly green giant would to a, uh, a mosquito-based flyby. Like, I mean, it's it's great to see. And of course, now that everyone sees that when he speaks his mind, his popularity increases, despite all of the slings and arrows hurled against him, I think that emboldens uh, other people uh, to do the same. And that shouldn't be long before its hands across the water and break the hypnosis of the media. Cap- Cap- and uh, and
1: by you know it it's got to bother the left on some level that when 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 they expect that Donald Trump who has all these bold faced things to say. Uh, turns out he treats his women better than, uh, let's say, Bill Clinton, for example, or Teddy Kennedy. He treats his women with respect. They love working for him. He he's he's by all accounts a great boss and gives them a lot of you know, gives them all the power and authority they can handle, and they do a great job for him. And they come out in droves saying he's a he's a wonderful guy to work for. Meanwhile, Mr. Bill Clinton, the feminist man, the man who's who's who we will excuse all this other stuff because he votes in our interest. As uh, Joy Behar said the other day, basically she said I'd rather have a, a rapist so long as he's a Democrat she's uh, she essentially said that that it, I'd rather you know I don't care uh, as long as he votes in my interest. Well, it turns out that um, that these guys don't uh, don't act in your interest. They're in it for the tail.
0: Oh man, I got to tell you, sorry, it's a it's a mildly lengthy tale. But um, I when I back back when the Bill Clinton thing came out. Mm-hmm. Like the Monica Lewinsky, f- for the younger listeners, basically the story was it basically came out that Bill Clinton uh, was uh, getting his executive blowjobs and basically using uh, his insurance like disposable hankies for a teenager. Yeah, yeah. And um, he was also inserting uh, cigars into her vagina, I think, while heads of state waited somewhere else for him to show up. And Can it was just... Imagine? It's Caligula style. Yeah. Like, I mean, this is like late Roman. Turn yeah, your yeah, really face is. and hold back your gagging noises. And I, I was actually, I, I was not doing this. I was in a business capacity, and I was, I was traveling with a salesman in the states. We were doing some presentations in big companies. This stuff came on the radio, Bill, and I thought, man. Incoming! Like I thought, that was that. That's completely it for this guy. Because of course, you know, any male who, uh, you know, power disparities, and there's no bigger power disparity than leader of the free world and unpaid intern. Like mm-hmm. you can't get a bigger. And I thought, man, feminists, like, oh, like they were going to be oh, spears nope. and riding over with like mustangs, and this guy was going to be pulled behind them and disassembled piece by piece, and his balls were going to get nailed up under the mm-hmm. cover of a Ms. magazine. And I'm literally, like, I thought, this is like, my God, what a rebel! And then. A giant thunderclap of nothing. Yep. It's got a
1: D nothing. after his name. Nothing. You could just hear the echo. I thought the same thing um, about Barack Obama when finally um, Reverend Wright says, God damn America. It's like, he's done. He's finished. He's over. I saw the clip. I said, that's it. That's the end of it. It was months before. He might not even have been the nominee, but it was well before the election. And that's it. That's the end of him. He's finished. And it's like, no, the 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 big D, um, you know, covers everything for these guys, right? It's like, yeah, it didn't happen. Uh, he he wasn't there that day. Really? He, he was there for twenty years he never heard him say anything like that no apparently not he said he didn't so i believe him uh, yeah, and what is Bill you, Ayers, the ex-weather underground start. terrorist guy, is bound up with He's, his campaign. His grand, I thought he was Democrat. Communist. It his it mother was out. a communist. His dad was a communist. <laughs> his mentor was a communist. The guy who started his career was a communist. His campaign manager is the son of a communist. They're nothing but communists. Barack Obama could not get the lowest level confidential security clearance in this country. He is way, way too entwined with, with uh, Islamicists and communists. He could never get the lowest level security clearance in this country. Never. And uh, he's president of the United States.
0: And I now know that there's no life after death because Joseph McCarthy has not come back from the dead with his <laughs> gnarled southern hands to to strangle the uh, I wish uh the they, they should
1: have buried him in the in the in the White House lawn so, so <laughs> that when Obama's walking to the helicopter, at least his hand could come out. Whether it caught him or not, it could clutch at him, you know, as he as he walks by. That'd give you some kind of emotional satisfaction anyway.
0: Oh, I just love that It'd be a press conference. Yeah. <laughs>
1: One hand going for the ankle, the other hand with the list. Yeah. That'd be that'd be poetic justice, which we're not gonna see.
0: But no, might, I mean, might
1: it's, see some kind of justice, though.
0: I thought that D stood for Democrat, and it turns out it's deflector shield. Yeah, Delector like D shield. just stands for deflective shield. Like it bounces off you. It's, it's just
1: astounding. A dictator, a douche. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot <laughs> of D's out Dick. there you can apply to these guys, and they all fit just just about exactly
0: the same. And so, because now we have the tale of the, do, the two BCS, right? We have mm-hmm. Bill Cosby. And we have uh, Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. now, Bill Cosby, of course, is facing criminal charges, and uh, I think lawsuits are raining down on him like uh, asteroids on a dinosaur head. and but Bill Clinton, again, an elder statesman, and you know, this is a guy who, a woman credibly accused of rape, mm-hmm. whose wife says that victims of sexual abuse and rape should always be believed.. Yep. Well, they're, they're in real trouble. It's like walking into an Escher painting and trying to be a physicist, like listening to these people. Oh man, what
1: a great analogy. I think they're in real trouble though, honestly, Stefan, uh, You know, a lot of uh, all the hardcore women supporters of of Hillary Clinton grew up with Hillary Clinton and and basically kind of went with her on this journey, but a full third or a quarter of the population doesn't remember the Clinton presidency, the voting population. They have no memory of the so-called good times of Bill, and Bill was a lot more charming back then. They see Bill Clinton now, and they just see kind of a skeevy old guy, and then they hear that, you know, he's got like 20 sexual assault uh, uh, allegations against him, and they're not impressed with him, and they're not impressed with Hillary. And Hillary's in a box. You know, she has no record to run on. She's incompetent. She's thin-skinned. She's venal. She's nasty. May be quite mad actually. There's a lot of lot of this post-concussion behavior where she's fatigued and, and and she's, you know, Huma's sending out emails saying that the secretary gets confused easily. So she's not exactly like Wonder candidate, and she's counting on two things to get her out of this. And one of them is Bill, because you know Bill Clinton is charming and and uh, and engaging and corrupt. And Hillary is Bill without the charming and engaging. And uh and and he, it's not working. And, and Bill knows it's not working. Have you seen him lately? He looks like, for the first time ever, Bill looks like deer in the headlights kind of guy. How are you doing, Mr. Uh, well, he, he knows that Bill Cosby is getting rung out to dry. And if Bill Cosby is going down, you know, Bill Cosby? you know, the most loved man in America, if he's going down, then all of a sudden Bill Clinton's getting a lot more quiet. I think he's getting a lot more shy. And I think Bill's starting to realize, hey, wait a minute, hold on now. I'm going to have to come back and save your campaign, but that makes me a target. And I don't particularly want to be a target because I'd like to not go to jail. And you've heard these allegations about going to this island, right? This uh, this little uh, prostitute island that got out there. Was it 11 trips in this guy's private jet and underage prostitutes and some girls reportedly as young as 12 years old or something? I don't think Bill Clinton wants this... In the air, And I think prior to Donald Trump, he just assumed that, you know, oh, nobody's going to bring this up. No one's got the guts. But Trump went right at it. And I think he's taken away Hillary's biggest weapon. And her other big weapon, of course, is the black vote. The Democrats cannot win a national level campaign without 80 percent of the black vote. 80 percent of the black vote is a big number. The blacks are not going to turn out for Hillary the way they turned out for Obama. In fact, they may turn out for him considerably less than they would for John Kerry, let's say, because there's a perception in the black community that Hillary is the one that ran against Obama and Hillary got Obama in trouble over Benghazi. They don't like Hillary very much. And Trump, I saw this number, Steph, it's unbelievable. Trump was apparently pulling like 40% of the black, of the black people that were polled in this. And if he pulls 20% of them, it's, it's over for them. They're done. I think they're in real trouble. And she may be in prison. You know, this is a big speculation. I don't want to run too long with this, but the big spec, look, there's no question that she violated the law. No question that she violated the law on a thousand counts. It doesn't say they have to be top secret. It just says she has to turn them in, and she didn't turn into a thousand, twelve hundred of them now. No question that she. And, and them.
0: they also don't have to be marked as secret that's because right. as Secretary a of State, a, she should know.
1: That's right. And, and, and so it's not, there's no question she committed multiple felonies. So the question is when the FBI brings the charges, will Loretta Lynch prosecute? And I thought, well, she'll probably just say no. But what I'm hearing now from several – well, from one source mostly is that if, if it turns out the FBI brings charges and the Justice Department doesn't press the charges, then there apparently is going to be a revolution, a revolt in the FBI that the entire FBI staff is – you know, they've been putting up with this crap for eight years now. But if they're saying, look, we've got so much evidence on this person. If she doesn't go down, then there is no government anymore. And, and if the FBI revolts, then, you know, get Watergate.
0: Hooray. Well, and – you know, the people in the FBI don't want to feel like political hacks and pawns, right? I mean, whatever I may think of the FBI as a whole, the Correct. people in there like to feel that they're enforcing some kind of objective law, Correct. They're law and enforcement not just being personnel. used as pawns.
1: That's right. They, yeah. have the, they, have the, they have the personality of law enforcement personnel because that's what they are. That's why they go into that line of work. And if they, if they are convinced that you know, it's one thing to have peccadillos overlooked for, uh, you know, for 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 political reasons. That's just business in the in, the, you know, in that wretched sky hive of scum and villainy. But when um, when you make this kind of case and it's not just the case and it's not just the number of times the security breach, that's what the FBI does. They're they're counter espionage organization. When they say if the if this person can commit these kind of security breaches and get off, then we'll never be able to prosecute another national security case again, ever. That we'll never be able to prosecute one. And I think that's the first compelling reason I've heard that made me think that she may actually face charges. Wouldn't that be just a thing to see? Oh, my God. That mugshot, I'd pay real money for that. I'll put that (laughs) on my wall. It'll be my screensaver.
0: To get a bigger. Screen. Yeah, I mean, because of course, I mean, look what happened to General Petraeus, who uh, far less egregious, yes. and this guy's life was destroyed by okay. by this. And what
1: did um you know, and what did uh, Richard Nixon do? Richard Nixon uh, probably authorized a minor cover up to get minor details involved, two or three people, no security breach, no national security issues, no one was killed, nothing. You know, this is this is. It's not going to happen until we get a new president. But but the level of corruption here and lawlessness is. If, if the next president is a Republican and we hold the two houses, if we don't investigate this stuff, then there is no future for this country. That's our last hope, I think. And speaking of lawlessness.
0: Well, and also I wanted to point out that Ehrlichman and Haldeman, who were the people, of course, who did uh, some of the Water Breaks, uh, water, uh, Watergate break-ins, were sentenced for 20 years in prison damn right, for a, a minor break-in where nothing was stolen. That's and it. it was their first-time offenses. They got 20 years in prison. They should have gotten And years compare in this to, I mean— The amount of, like, it's not just the sending and receiving of the emails, the lack of security in the entire setup meant that just about anyone who wanted, I would imagine, could get a hold of this woman's emails and know the inner workings of U.S. foreign policy. Uh, That is as catastrophic uh, a a breach of national security as you could conceivably imagine. The
1: the, the top level negotiating position of the United States of America, including our military assets, their dispositions, everything is in a, it's in a, it's in a, a washroom in an apartment in New York. You know, these guys can read drives from just, I mean, it's just, it's sitting there. These, the, some of these espionage capabilities are unbelievable. And yeah, it's, it's just plain treason. And you can't tell me oh, the president didn't know about it. Of course he knows about it. The first time he gets an There's email, no
0: dot gov. First time he gets an email There's no dot gov at the end of the That's emails. How can anybody not know that, this? Right. So, oh, and a surfer in a toilet, man, talk about a data dump. But anyway, sorry, go
1: on. The, the, the thing about the toilet, I was, I was, I thought the whole thing was just stagecraft. I just thought it was her just trying to show she's top dog. Uh, I read just a couple of days ago that maybe the reason she was so long getting back to the stage was she was so exhausted because of this post concussion um disorder that she has. You know, she I don't know, but I don't think she's fit. I, I know she's not morally fit and she may not be physically fit. and uh, I think there's a real chance she could she could one thing we can sure of right is that twenty sixteen is going to be unlike anything before and after it will be either. The end of the period of lawlessness in this country or the beginning of a a period of just absolute banana republic madness and probably both.
0: Well, I know which way you and I, of course, are working to tip the scale. And uh, I I think that we have as good a shot now uh, as uh, as any, because I think I think people really get that most of what they're told, at least from the left in particular, is just such a load of malarkey. What do you think? Uh, and I think that the discrediting of the left because if, if the left can't manipulate you then they actually have to come up with reason and evidence behind their positions which apparently is like sunlight to a vampire That's right, to this them. Kid just person flames. It just can't happen. So it, what do you think about
1: what do you think about Trump? I mean my attitude towards Trump was look he's not a conservative he's a complete narcissist. He's he's just a a blowhard he's going to do all these things. And yet and yet if, if Donald Trump does nothing other than destroy the the liberal media information political complex, if that's all he does, then he he did, he needs a life-size gold medal struck in his honor, and you need to put it on top of the Washington Monument. I mean, you know, at, at this point, when I hear a conservative saying, well, he's not a conservative, it's like, well, you, I certainly agree. But in, in a lot of cases, he's not. I mean— No, well,
0: yeah, we'll, we'll get into that, but go on. But
1: in, in, in any case, in any case— if, his, if he is, continues to do what he's doing, which is basically say, I've li- when he says, I didn't call on you, sit down, what are you, CNN? Pff, it's the control of the media and it's the control of the media, uh, the politicians and the pop culture. These three big wheels of Hollywood, uh, New York and Washington with the, with the big rolling D that make sure that no truth gets out there. Because people have said, you know, if we had an actual unbiased news media, forget a conservative news media, a fair news media, the country would vote like Kansas. And OK, if that's what he does and that's what he does, I'll take it.
0: Well, my view is that um Donald Trump is a glorious supernova on the entire American political landscape. I, I've never seen anything like it. I don't can't think of a single parallel in history where an unbelievably talented media savvy i mean this guy does the media better than the media does and it is so entertaining yep. watching him set trap after trap yep. after trap and the media is just like do, 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 oh, you know every single time he's got, they, a, bit they,
1: of, they, he's got a bit of william jennings Bryan in him. there's a bit of that kind of you know pop that kind of populism is he's completely on the different side of the spectrum obviously but he's he's got this sort of popular confidence he's got this sense of untouchability is unbeholden yeah. to people. And I think most people find that in this day and age incredibly appealing and saw a great article written by a leftist, I think, who basically said, look, the left created Donald Trump. The the country's tired of a bunch of New York intellectuals telling everybody else what to do, what to think and what to believe in spite of their own lying eyes. And people just had it. And and John Donald Trump's political message is F you. And that's the supporters message. And I'm kind of in that boat, too. It's like, yeah, OK, yeah, that's how I feel.
0: I would also argue, because I know that he has—and and the, the word buffoon and, you know, ham-colored snake oil salesman and all that. I mean, this to me is—it's a beautiful image that he's created. I think the man is fiercely intelligent. I There completely are some agree. incredible I estimates that more, his no, IQ that he, is north of 160. And, and uh, he there's, is— there's And he, that he's detail. done— yeah, the hair helps. Part <laughs> of his
1: decoy. He could he'd get the hair. fixed. Yeah. the hair's a, it's a, it's a trademark for him. It's it's yeah. uh it's um it's like one of these um like the angle fish, you know that has a little lure yeah, yeah. that dangles in front of him. He just people go for the hair and then he just laughs and gets a deal he wants.
0: You know, it's it's like um it's like if you're going to sit down and play chess for your soul with a guy dressed in as a clown. You know, it's really going to be hard to play your best cuz he's dressed like a clown. But he may be Gary Kasparov, or you know, like, yeah, dressed and, as a clown. That's exactly
1: right. He doesn't care that he's dressed like a clown. What he cares about is winning the chess game. And if dressing like a fool yeah. means he wins the game, then okay, then that's it. No, I think that's
0: the certainly the most optimistic read of it, and I think that's probably the most likely read of it. Um, and the underestimate the the fact that the media continually underestimates Donald Trump, I think, as everyone does. I think that the fact that everyone's calling him a buffoon is like glorious to him. Like if I was in a, his shoes, to be like, great, keep underestimating me, keep writing me off, keep saying that I'm finished, no. don't ever engage, imagine I'm just about to vanish. That is by far the best situation for him for the future. You cannot have people voluntarily give you thousands of millions of dollars
1: and be an idiot. It's simply not no. possible. You can be a stupid person in politics by getting elected one time and praying to people's emotions and using the course of power of the state, then you, you can do that forever. Uh, just look at Joe Biden who you know, couldn't run Walmart and couldn't run a Walmart. Um, but, but you can't be a multi-billionaire and be an idiot. It's just not possible, it's just not. You can't be in control
0: well, of that kind of thing and, and be an idiot. I struggle to be reasonably good at one thing, and this guy's like a hydra of competence. Because I mean, he's obviously fantastic in in business. He was a very good, uh, very good in academics. The Wharton School of Business is no no cheesecake. I did not know he, that. He uh, he is a you know he's written some of the most successful business books of all time. Like The Art of the Deal is right up there in terms of the top business books. Mm-hmm. So he's been fantastic in business. He's been fantastic in academics. He's been fantastic as an author. He's been fantastic as a public speaker. He's fantastic at television. He had some one. of the top rated shows That's that nobody that. else has been able to replicate. They tried it with Martha Stewart. They tried it with a whole bunch of other people to do this apprentice style thing and you notice the apprentice like now that he's gone it's gone of course right so so the man is and now he's just stumbled into the political arena and he is the most successful politician since reagan you could i mean even more you so in some ways it. in that reagan had you know the amnesty thing and some some pretty non-republican position so the man is a stone genius yeah, but- who is fantastic at just about everything that he does, and man, underestimate him at your peril.
1: What are the two things that Donald Trump and Ronald Reagan have in common? Because there's a lot of different policy positions and, and so on, but they have one thing in common, and that's and that's the, the fundamental reason why they're both successful. They're both entertainers. They're coming from the entertainment business. Mm-hmm. There are how many, I don't know how many billionaire and multimillionaire real estate developers there are in, in the country and the world, but there's thousands of them, certainly. And there's only one with a name. There's only one person with a name, and that's because he's an entertainer. He's He's been able to leverage his his ability to be interesting, to to make himself a fortune. And that's what it is about Trump. He's interesting. And I think I might have said this last time, but right after the Romney election 2012, I did a speech about four days after that. And I said, the next president is coming from the pop culture. I'm telling you, he's going to come from the pop culture. And he's going to be a guy who can speak the language of Americans in terms of the simplicity of the pop culture. That doesn't mean it's stupid. And uh, on the contrary, it's the it's that common sense that is the greatest reservoir of information on the planet. You know, 320 million people making real decisions in real time on their own is if you can if you can swing that middle just by by speaking out against the elitists who think they're smarter. You know, these five guys in a Washington room think they're smarter than the rest of the country. I mean, you have to be an absolute moron and a narcissistic lunatic to believe that you 10 people from the Kennedy School of Business or whatever are smarter than 320 million processors working in real
0: time with local information. You have to be an absolute moron to believe that. But they do. And he's calling these people right out. And he is the first – right-winger that I know of, and you probably know more about this than I do, Bill, but he's the first right-winger I know of who's fantastic at using the left-wing media to amplify his message. I mean, that to me is, that's, that's like snake he's charming. him like a violin. Because yeah, he, mentioned. you know, he'll say stuff like, you know, what he said when he kicked off, right, about he said the immigrants, there's criminals and, ra- you know, and rapists and so mm-hmm. on among the immigrant population. And, and then he said, and there's a lot of nice people, too. But, of course, the media snipped out the part before he said there's a lot of nice people, too, and amplified and broadcast all of that. And people were like, wow, he's saying that all Mexican immigrants are rapists and killers and, and so on, right? And then they go and get the whole piece and they've just broadcasted his whole message. Mm-hmm. And then when people hear the whole piece, they realize how much the media has uh, have cut up the message to make him look mm-hmm. bad. That's right. So he he is using the left wing media to amplify. It's like a skyrider on a crowded beach. And the left wing media think they're taking him down. And it's just free advertising. It is, just, for him. That's exactly right. They're just
1: spreading his message. And um, that no, that's exactly right. He um, he said something not too long ago. He said, you know, I've, every every time I say something, people say it's lunacy. And a month later, it's policy. You know, they are sto- they are doing this. They're stopping this immigration. They're taking a look at this. People want to take a look at this. People have a right to be interested in in the fact that we're not bringing in immigrants who want to give up their former lives. We're taking in refugees from a country whose whose entire core value is antithetical to the American experience. That's something you have a perfectly legitimate right to do before you invite somebody into your home. So, yeah. And, and he's he is using uh, what I think is interesting is, is he using the strategies that he talked about in Art of the Deal in his presidential campaign, in other words, is he purposely, is he purposely going so far forward, so f- asking for so much, basically, kind of asking for so much that when it comes time to get serious about the uh, the election, that he will be able to kind of withdraw a little bit and um, and 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 kind of bring himself back to this position where he ends up getting what he wanted in the first place by making concessions, looking more reasonable.
0: Yeah, it's hard. To, it's hard to imagine uh, what could happen closer. I mean. I, 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 my main goal with, with talking about Donald Trump is to get people to understand the degree to which he's going to smash the media. I mean, I, I really believe this this... Car like trust in me media stuff that has hypnotized pretty much two generations mm-hmm. ever since the leftists got kicked out of the State Department and ended up having to swarm over to the media and to Hollywood. They've kept people in this grip of leftist delusion for generations. He is smashing that completely. Now, what happens after the asteroid takes out the giant snake about to eat your village? Correct. I don't care. I don't, that's I exactly the asteroid right. that's taking what I thought you out were going to say. Snake. I don't
1: know, but I agree with you. I don't know and I don't care because the, the most important thing is to smash this giant on Going iron rice bowl between the government, the news media, and the pop culture. If he calls this thing out and destroys it and is elected by destroying it and its power is broken, then we have it then I don't care what happens after that. We at least then the voice of the people can get somehow back in the game. Um, and and yeah, I I completely agree. He strikes me as the kind of guy who's kind of doing it kind of because it'd be fun. And I get the feeling that if he was elected, he would put people into position the way he's always done with business, right? He's Donald Trump doesn't manage the Trump Tower. You know, and he doesn't manage the casino. Donald Trump goes out there. He finds the money for the Trump Tower, builds it, promotes it. Then he hires the best managers he can find, which are usually the best people in the business, puts them in position, tells them, here's what I want. And if you don't get the numbers I want, I'm going to replace you with somebody who can. And if you if, if that is going to be his style of governance, then I think most people's reservations about him should should vanish. I mean, if that's if he if he plans to govern in the in the same way as he um as he runs his business, that I think is actually extremely uh, hopeful for the country. Unlike the current narcissist, who is smarter than his speechwriters, he's a better speechwriter than his speechwriter, he's a better campaign manager than his campaign manager, he plays basketball on the same level as LeBron, who micromanages everything, even though he doesn't actually accomplish anything. If, if Trump basically becomes the president and then appoints, you know, Let's say he appoints Ted Cruz as Attorney General. I mean, Ted Cruz would be the best Attorney General in the history of this country. He'd be astonishing. He'd be perfect. And Carson would make a fine Surgeon General and uh Carly Fiorina would make a fine Commerce Secretary. And and you know,
0: I just I just want to see Rand Paul in charge of the Fed why for not? 35 seconds. <laughs> That'd be secretary. my I'm I'm my serious joy. as
1: I can be. I've been saying this honest to God. Stephen, I've been saying this for 2 years now. If the Democrat if the Republicans wanted to win, they should go to their convention and whoever whoever gets the nomination, they should come out and say Ben Carson's going to be uh, Surgeon General. Ted Cruz is going to be Attorney General. Marco Rubio is going to be well, um, oh, I don't know. Pick something. Um, uh, you know, it, uh, Bolton's going to be Secretary of State. And everybody who's in the race is going to have a job and will make Alan West Defense Secretary or something. And you know, and then everybody's got somebody in the game. All the re- Republicans and conservatives say, well, oh, I didn't get what I wanted, but, you know, I'm going to have Ted Cruz for attorney general. I'm going to have so-and-so for secretary of state or something. And you come out with a unified team and you tell the American people, this is what you're going to get. This is who you're going to get. You're not going to get any surprises. This is, this is the team. And if he did that, I think he'd be unstoppable. He's
0: probably unstoppable anyway. And without a doubt, just sort of objectively speaking, I can't picture a more competent occupant to the White House with more managerial and media experience and more public experience. I can't think, like, I mean, Ronald Reagan, for all of his... Uh, virtues was not somebody who'd managed a multi-billion dollar private enterprise that had worldwide in, interests and so on. He is by far the most experienced and competent person to occupy the White House. I mean, the stumble who've been ambling their way through there, you know, from from Carter and Ford. And I mean, just mm-hmm. even on, on you know, George W. Bush had not had much success in his big business career and so on. And all these guys who just kind of went their way from law to Washington and, mm-hmm. and you know, usually on daddy's coattails and so on. And by the Either way so anyway i just think he's a staggeringly competent person to get into the presidential seat and it'd be interesting to see what would happen and all these people who say well his dad gave him some money it's like come on how many people win a million dollars in the lottery every week dozens and dozens of people they don't all become 10 times billionaires with massive worldwide i mean the fact that he got money is yeah okay it helps but Good Lord. I mean, uh, it's lots of people get money, lots of people inherit money, but they don't do that same thing. So I just people should just give up on that.
1: I I agree. I think if I couldn't agree more, actually, but if you were to take the office of the chief executive of the country as a chief executive, I think Mitt Romney would have been a superb president. But what we learned from the election with Mitt Romney is you cannot parachute into the presidency. And the presidency is not just the management of the company. On the contrary, the, the president has to be the person who can make the make the deal with the American people who can convince them of whatever particular objectives that he thinks is good for the country and basically sell them on it and and to say that you have a, a guy like Mitt Romney who was a who I think would have been a superb president as a manager but was not a great candidate because he could not make that human connection Trump has a similar business background to Romney in very very similar terms basically they're they're, they're high-level businessmen right but Trump is connecting to people, in a way that Romney never did because Trump understands the power of entertainment. He's just interesting. And he's, as you said earlier, he's just milking this whole thing. Just, he's just, he's using the, he's what he's doing is he's committing judo, right? I mean, this is what, this is how, this is how judo works. If you're a small person and you're being attacked by a large person, you can't block the large person because they've got more mass than you do. So you get out of their way and you use a little tiny bit of force and leverage to push them in the direction where you want them to go. And their own mass is what uses is what defeats them. And he's doing that to the news media. He's using the news media's sense of outrage and hysteria and and, and blowing every horn and people's heads coming off. He's just riding that all the way to the White House. He's just using it. I think just broke except
0: in this analogy that the judo like the small guy is actually the sumo wrestler is landing in the crowd and breaking arms yeah, which is yeah, really yeah, annoying yeah. the it's hell out of the crowd because the media is like oh man he said this about hispanics isn't he racist isn't he and guys guys isn't he Isn't and, like, and there's nobody around and everyone's like well you know there are some incompatibilities and we are supposed to be a nation of laws and we kind of have wanted to have this conversation since the 65 immigration act yeah. so yes the idea that we get the sort of white western european christian civilization gets displaced by third world people operating under the table and destroying the black community's job prospects, yeah, we kind of would like to have a conversation about that because everyone says, oh, let's have an honest conversation about diversity. Let's have an honest conversation about race. Let's have an honest conversation about multiculturalism and the irony is that in the entire worship of diversity there are two fundamental ironies number one is that the left is completely undiverse i don't think anyone Absolutely has right. ever had a meeting in the new york times where they've said you know we got a lot of leftists here we kind of need to mix it up because mm-hmm. you know at least 40 percent of the u.s population is conservative why do we get con- some conservative writers in here we kind of mono culture in here they don't the, the, the left has no interest in diversity any more than academics uh, on the left have an interest in hiring uh, people who are coming out of the milton friedman school of free market economics so that's number one the Left doesn't care about diversity mm-hmm. at all. And number two is, in diversity, you're only ever allowed to have one opinion about diversity. You can't ever question it. That's you right. can't ever doubt it. There's only one, only one rule that's about right. how to think in diversity. Is like that does not seem very diverse to me. No, we, we don't care what your skin color is so
1: long as you agree with us on absolutely everything. Um, and that's that's <laughs> basically it. And we're just the exact opposite. We we like you know we don't much care what your skin color is. What's your argument? What 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 are you trying to say as an individual? You know, and make a good argument and you win. Um, yeah, yeah I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think I think it's going to be an interesting year. Uh, it's going to be a spectacularly interesting year. And I think, I hope that what we're seeing is uh, is this rise of this force that was brought out of, it was just coalesced out of thin air by people like Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton is the reason that Donald Trump exists. You know, 40 years of corruption, a congenital liar when she was 20 or whatever, she was fired from the staff of this Democrat when she was 23 years old. Why? Because she's a congenital liar. She's just completely,
0: completely untrustworthy. It was Forty years ago, and even outside, uh, even outside of the um, the whole email scandal, mm-hmm. um, they stole a whole bunch of property from the White House when they left. They're mine. Uh, And and if you steal federal property, you're actually ineligible to run for office ever.
1: And this is what the American people, I think, are backing Donald Trump for is they're sick of the lawlessness. Now, Donald Trump may have billions of dollars and Donald Trump may be kind of a jerk even, but he's his own jerk and he made his own money and he's a jerk on his own dime. He didn't walk out of there with the money that you paid for. He didn't take he didn't take your furniture and little things, not just the furniture. You know, when his staff left, they pulled all the W's off of all the keyboards. You knew that, right? trivial little petty larceny just designed to, to show you that we can, you know, just kind of this kind of breaking a window just because the window exists kind of quality. are these are the people that we're up against
0: and uh, not even to mention the vast numbers of corporations who paid ridiculous sums for 25 minutes of Bill Clinton speeches when they had matters in front of the State Department. That, to me, is, I mean, this idea while he was just her husband. You know, bribery laws do not recognize the difference between husband and wife. You can't circumvent no, them by giving money to the spouse.
1: when the, the, the money's not going to the spouse. The money's going to the Clinton Foundation, and both Hillary and Bill are drawing on it. So you're exactly right. So this is how the, this is how the, it's not just, it's not just a scam step this is how the treason works you've got somebody in sweden who wants to sell uranium to iran well it turns out their state department rules against doing that well could could we make a donation to the clinton foundation have bill come and speak to us for eight hundred thousand dollars or something like that yeah i suppose bill could come talk to you for eight hundred thousand dollars and so the eight hundred thousand dollars goes into the clinton foundation and the next thing you know these trade barriers have been lifted by somebody highly placed within the state department we have no idea who that might be at the time just because she was secretary of state, you know, these these trade barriers mysteriously disappear. And now Hillary has eight hundred thousand dollars to play with for her campaign to tell everybody what to do. It's not just corruption. It's treason. And it's multiple cases of it. And it's and it's true. It's corruption on the level of hundreds of millions of dollars. But that's not the money they're interested in. They're, they're interested in the trillions of dollars available. Uh, 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 Dinesh D'Souza wrote a book called Stealing America, got to interview him about that. There's another guy who went to prison for having his own opinion. Uh, But um, Dinesh D'Souza said the most valuable thing in the world, if you're going to steal one thing in the world, the most valuable thing in the world is the private property held by the American people. $71 trillion, that's the single biggest pot of money in the world. And if you're a criminal... Why? Why, you know? Why dick around with the small stuff? What's a hundred million dollars? You, you've got seventy one thousand billion dollars of personal assets you can appropriate through the legislative power of the state. Why not go for the big money? And that's what they're doing.
0: Yeah, eight hundred thousand dollars for a speaking engagement. It was. I mean, well, I mean, it's it's a remarkable fee, and I feel that um, if I say had groped more people. Mm-hmm. Um, then I really feel I could start to command those kinds. Like if I would inserted more cigars into women's unmentionables, then possibly, you know, that would be a way to start earning those that's kinds of figures. Speaking. Or of course, if I was married to someone who could dispose of $71 trillion, no, that's exactly that's also right.
1: It's your it. speaking fee is based on, it's $10,000 per grope, and it's $50,000 <laughs> per insertion. And you basically just work over the course of 20, 30 years. And the next thing you know, you're getting 800 grand for an hour of your time.
0: And on the bottom of my card, it will be Stefan Molyneux, professional public speaker, P.S., you can keep the cigar. <laughs> I really don't want it back, although he probably does. No. All right. <laughs> With that image, oh, Lord. what would you no, like no, to that move on to next? Should, should we cross the pond to Europe? Yeah, that's yeah go right. ahead. It won't save you. No. Uh, should we cross the pond to Europe Absolutely. and talk about uh, our friends in, uh, in the origin of the North American experience? Yeah. What do you want to say about them? They had a lovely, they had a, they had a
1: jolly New Year's, as we uh, mentioned earlier in the show today. Being.
0: A conservative being into the free market being into human liberty means forever being sorry that you're right i think that's to me what like i, I wish you know i wish i was wrong about these predictions mm-hmm. like uh, you know Long time ago, I did videos about just what a disaster this was going to turn into. And it's only starting. I mean, this is just the mm-hmm. beginnings, tip of the spear stuff. It's just a testing of the resolve of the German people. This is like the, you probe the defenses. You know, if you're going to attack people, uh, you send a few hapless red shirts from uh, Star Trek mm-hmm. uh, to go and skirt the uh, outskirts of the city you want to besiege. And you see if anyone notices and you keep probing the defenses. And it seems to me that this is the uh, probing of the willpower and resolution of the um, Europeans. So this is happening, of course, in Sweden, it's happening in Germany, it's happening in France and other places. And there is a test of the resolve. Do you care about your women? Are you going to fire up? Do you have a sack that you're willing to maneuver into some sort of uh, aggressive position? And uh, right now, it seems that... um, It's not really much of a response. The response being, this one woman, the the mayor of Cologne, was like, well, ladies, just keep an arm's distance Mm -hmm. from... You know, and, and I don't you know I don't know if you're a German if you want to be doing this a lot to no, check your whoa, arms whoa, distance whoa, people nicely people you played. could probably go to jail for that too. Yeah, you sure can. And, and what are you going to do in a subway? And what are you like, arm's length, everybody. And is this what human liberty, is this what our forefathers bled, fought, bled and died for was so that everyone could try and keep an arm's length? Does that create a magical shield between you and, and rapey North Africans? I don't know. I mean – that This victim blaming, it's just amazing to see that this switch, you never blame the victim, never blame the victim. It's like, well, you know, ladies, you keep an arm's length and and you'll be fine. I mean, I, I, I think that the fact that they're saying this kind of stuff has got to be pretty eye-opening to people.
1: Well, I, we, we talked about this in the first show we did uh, last year, and that is that I think the situation has fundamentally changed since this big uh, immigration wave. I mean, fundamentally changed in Europe. So the big question I think here is, is If you imagine um, Europe as a general, the population, the European indigenous European population, let's imagine that's like a giant diaphragm, is 25 feet across, it's an it's a, it's a end of a cylinder. So the question really is, is that cylinder being pushed into open space and it just continues to be pushed forever? It's just a matter of how long do we push it until it falls over? Or is it in fact a spring? Is it every time that cylinder gets pushed, we're putting more energy into a spring and the rebound becomes greater? And I think you can make a pretty good case that it is in fact a spring because the Europeans the European psychology, at least as it looks to me over here, is that we have to do these things that we know that make us uncomfortable, and we have to do these things that we know are bad for us to atone for, uh, the horrors of the Third Reich and, and just European culture in general and all the colonization in the British Empire, all of this. They've just been fed this since the end of World War II. So we're fundamentally bad people. That's why we have all this nice stuff, because we stole it from the brown people. So therefore, we have to allow the brown people and the and the, and the the Islamic savages into our country, even though we can see on a daily basis this isn't working, it's our punishment. And we're going to feel good about our punishment. It's going to be our way of showing everybody that we're not guilty of the Nazi atrocities, that we're different kind of people and we're good people and you don't have to beat up on us anymore. I really think that's how the psychology of it goes. However, um, they are also still people. And when it's your daughter who comes home molested, uh, by these gangs that you see on the street below your window every day, you may in public say, well, it's just a misunderstanding, but you can't take the fundamental emotional human response out of it. And to that degree, I think it is a spring. And that spring is being more and more compressed. And the danger, of course, is it's always the leftist and the collectivist that compress the string. And when the spring comes loose, it doesn't always come loose pretty. In fact, it usually doesn't. So you you have all of the shame and all of this... Um, reparations and all of this uh guilt laid on the germans after world war one and the way that the german people express that repressed sense of self and and pride and and stuff is in is in the nazis and once again when you start compressing the spring and you're telling people that they're that they they need to believe you and not, not their own lying eyes and you need to give up your your normal human instincts to protect your wife and your family and to protect your your culture and to protect everything that's working you have to let it go and it's the smart and the right thing to do yes i agree but that, that emotional spring gets compressed some more, and I don't think that they can do this forever. And I think that just the reaction over the New Year's Eve thing is is interesting, right? I mean, they tried to say it didn't happen, and then turns out it did. And then they said, tried to say it was just in Cologne. Well, it turns out it was in other places, too. It turns out it was all across the continent. And that news never would have gotten out a year ago, ever, I don't think. I think people are asking serious questions in a way they never did before, and and the fact, look, you know, people say one thing and they do something else. That's social proof, right? Oh, no, I th- I'm, I'm all on this multicultural thing because we welcome the immigrants. But if people stand out there and say, we welcome the immigrants, like they've been saying for 40 years, and the next thing you know, you can't buy a gun in Europe anywhere because they've all been bought off the shelves, then that's telling you that people are saying one thing and doing something else.
0: Well, it's called white flight. I mean, people say, "Well, I love a multiracial, multicultural mm-hmm. neighborhood." Except, of course, you know, in America, blacks murder at nine times the rate of whites, and right. that gets a little tiresome mm-hmm. if you say want to continue to have a pulse. And so, there is this continued white flight away from these uh, areas, and you can see this.
1: It's it's successful yeah. black flight. I mean, the, yeah. the, all you need to know about Reverend Wright and his message of 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 uh, justice to the to the poor, blessed, oppressed blacks in Chicago is that the second that he retired from his ministry, he he retired to a gated, all white community. Right. What, what else do you need to know about the guy? I mean, what you know? He he goddamned himself right into the nicest part of America that he could find, uh, and and this is always the hypocrisy of these people. We don't believe that you should have guns to protect yourself, really. Madam Feinstein, well, then can I come into your house and talk about it late at night? No, I have 14 armed guards, uh, you know, and I've got a s- private security service. I think we should have open borders. Really, Jessica Alba? Well, how about if I come by your house and since you don't believe in gates or doors or b- boundaries or fences, how about if I come over and just have a snack later on at night? Maybe we can hang out on the TV, watch, net, watch some Netflix and chick. Yeah, chill, just the two of us. Uh, No, you set foot on my property, Jessica Alba says, and the the private security company is going to be there before you can take a second step. It's just nothing but hypocrisy for these people. They tell you this is the moral, decent thing to do. Lower your defenses, let everybody in, share your pie, but they don't share anything, and they don't pay any extra money, and they don't disarm themselves. It's a giant lie. I hate these swine. And it is,
0: yeah, it is, and I'm more familiar with this in England than in other cultures, but um, it's the Chamberlain to Churchill switch. Mm -hmm. That uh, people who've not studied history aren't generally aware of it. Of course, in the 1930s, um, there was this appeasement, right, of of Hitler. And uh, Churchill, of course, was saying, no, 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 we need to stop him when he's going into the Rhineland. Mm -hmm. We need to stop him in Alsace-Lorraine. We need to stop him Mm -hmm. when he's going into Austria, although in Czechoslovakia, it's going to get worse. And everybody was like, okay, no, 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 you know. And, and everybody was lining up behind the ultimate cuck, uh, Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. And then, so British people were like, oh, we really don't want war. Oh, we really don't want war. Right. And then finally, it's like, okay, are we going to have war? Bye-bye, Germany, right? And then it's That's just right. like they keep doing it until Germany is a smoking ruin uh, that didn't happen in World War I, but then happened in World War II. And this flip from, you know, as I've said for, for years, when Europeans, very, very nice. Super nice, give you the shirt off their back. Until they're not. Mm-hmm. And then they're really, really not. This is like, the Jackson you know, okay, you, you can fly kamikazes into our uh ships, uh, you can torture our prisoners, so you can do the rape of Nanking, then we're gonna drop two nuclear bombs on your homeland. That's like it. when when Europeans get not nice, they get a whole lot of not nice, and it's been a long time since the world has seen that. And I'm it's my strong hope that the world will not see it again. Mine too. But, uh, it, it, you know, it, it certainly will happen. The genetics have not flipped that much in the last 70 years.
1: No, I've said frequently, but one of the first things I ever said in this line of work was that the world hasn't seen America really angry since August of 1945. That's the last time they've seen this country genuinely all the way angry. And I heard a stand-up comedian not too long ago, he's a, he was a, um, I think he was from, from Asia, uh, in English. I heard him on the radio, and he said, you don't want to make America too angry because if you make them angry, they'll drop 10,000 bombs on you, but if you make them really angry, they'll drop two bombs on you. And, um and and this is the this is what we're this is what guys are like us who are accused of being warmongers, or I am certainly, is what I'm actually trying to prevent. Right? I'm trying to make mm-hmm. the intellectual argument so we don't have to go to this to this place. But um, you know, it's so interesting what you said about Churchill and the way that population flipped, because Churchill um was demonized as a warmonger in World War I. He was he had Gallipoli pinned on him, even though it wasn't his fault as the Royal Navy really that let him down at Gallipoli. He had a really brilliant plan to end the war two years early and they just didn't back him. So he goes and spends the thirties as a backbencher saying he's got, he's building his air force, he's building his army. This is before he even went into these countries. And then it was like, no, 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 it's a legitimate German grievance. The Sudetenland Lamb is a legitimate grievance. The rhinelands is a legitimate grievance. Austria's a legitimate grievance. And, and it was the same. It was the guilt yes, over of Versailles. Course, exactly, it's the same exactly thing as the right. guilt over colonial. Exactly, precisely right. But the thing that's so shocking to me is not that, is not that they took so long to wake up It's not shocking to me that they took so long to wake up, and it's not at all shocking to me that they rose to the challenge that Winston Churchill gave them. He said right at the beginning when they were saying—I "Make." mean, he he became prime minister the day that they invaded France. I think it was May 10th. It was the day— and and he thought he'd be fighting Germans 200 miles away. He's fighting them 20 miles away. Their, their bombers are gonna take four minutes to get across the channel now. And Churchill goes to parliament and they're saying, make a deal with him. He likes England. It'll be his favorite part of the empire. Just make a deal while you've still got an army. Churchill goes to the floor of the parliament and he says, if this Long Island story of ours is to end, let it end with all of us lying on the floor of this chamber choking on our own blood. Okay then, all right. So then they, they fight this war. They're hanging in this fight for two years by themselves basically. And then... Here's the part I can't understand. Churchill is thrown out of office before World War II ends. He's thrown out of office before World War II ends. He, he gets to see the, the victory in Germany in, in May, but he's out of there before the victory in the Pacific in August. And how stupid do you have to be? You know, I mean, you replace Churchill with the exact same people that Churchill replaced. So in other words, it's like, we need this guy to win the war. You've just won the war. And a week or two later, yeah, we don't need him anymore.
0: What do we need him for? Oh, I, yeah, don't, the, 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 I, I'll, I'll, my head will explode and we'll go on for four days at this part of, of British history because, of course, after you've spent five years and sacrificed millions and millions of lives fighting national socialists, who do you vote in the, after the, Churchill? The, the Labour Party, the Labor Party the who socialists. were socialists. Yeah, that's right. And that, to me, is just like, the, the king is dead. Long live the king, you know, we've defeated socialism. Let's get socialism in here because it's there's nothing spells victory like a minor strike that cripples the country for 10 years. 10 years, oh, oh, that's exact.
1: no, that's exactly right. Britain, Britain Britain failed as fared rather as badly as Germany did in the first five to ten years after the war. They they were they it was self inflicted, absolute misery. They Britain didn't get back on its feet till 1955. They spent well, and, ten and, years and, paying for yeah. the socialist state that they just fought to, to defeat. It's inexplicable to me. It's
0: abs- you had a whole bunch of. And when I say Austrian economists, for those who don't know, that's an Austrian school of economics from Ludwig von Mises, which is super free market stuff. And so Germany ended up with a far freer market so after the Second World War because they had a minister of finance who was really into the free market and defied a lot of allied orders to create a better currency and free up restrictions and, and remove uh, um, restrictions on capital and goods and labor and you name it. And so the weird thing was is that the, the country that was the totalitarian socialist state ended up with a far freer market after the war uh, than the people England, that liberated did. It. England then descended into this low multi-decade socialist hell that end, ended up spitting up Thatcher to try and redress the balance, and Germany soared off to become dominant within Europe as the result of free market policies because of one guy who came in after the war. So the degree to which England won the war against socialism. It's like, what a way to to piss on the graves of the people who died to bring you freedom by granting more freedom to your uh, vanquished foe than you're willing to accept yourself. And I would argue the same thing happened in America after the fall of communism. It's like, finally, we've beaten communism. Great. Let's take over the healthcare industry. Let's take yeah. over more of government education. Let's have a National Bureau of X, Y, and Z. Let's end up with the federal government owning massive tracts of land uh, in in the united states i mean it's like madness the degree to which these victories are squandered and you adopt the 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 emblems and flags and curses of your enemies
1: yeah and it it comes back kind of this arcade thing which we don't need to open up right now but basically what it comes down to is people don't want to believe that there's an external threat and they will not believe there's an external threat and they will not look at it and most some people will look at it that's why we're in the line of work we are and that's why our 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 followers are followers because they can see the threat too but most people don't want to look at the external threat. They want to bury their hands in the sand and pretend it doesn't exist until finally that it's that it's that um, inability to face it that allows it to grow in the first place. Islam wouldn't be a problem for the West if Islam decided to do something about... I mean, if the West decided to do something about Islam, this would probably be over in a very, very short period of time. But we refuse to look at it until it's something where they fly into our buildings. Not only is like flipping a coin that landed on its side, right? Half the country got it, the other half didn't. Uh, but basically what I'm trying to say is it's the victory that energizes people. And then that Western aspect of European Western culture comes out, which is now you've done it. Now you're wrecking the show and now we're going to make you pay. And the second it's over, the second it's over, the second the wolves are no longer visible on the hill, people go back to being rabbits again. And they will be rabbits until there are 20,000 wolves that come down and start eating us enormous, doing incredible damage. At which point we go through this transformation again into this sort of unbeatable warrior civilization, right? You can't beat the West when the West is fully at war because the West is a cooperative society and scientific society, and it's built on trust and it's built on, 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 on all kinds of different levels of input from individual people. It's they're in, we're invincible warriors when we're in warrior mode, but because life is so good, we don't, we will not look at the threats while they're still manageable. We have to wait until they're almost unbeatable. At which point finally people say, well, I guess we're going to have to go to war. Just like you said with Britain, I guess we can't avoid it anymore. Now, if we're going to have to go to war, let's get a war leader. Here he comes. So the second that the Nazi wolves are off of the hill, the second, the instant, I mean, within five or six days of the, of the surrender of the Germans, this sheepdog that came forward to save this culture, the second the wolves are gone, we don't need you anymore. And what happens to the wolves, right? Well, it turns out it's not German wolves. As you said, they, they turned into great people. Wolves are coming in from the south now. Now we have to wait and go through this whole cycle again.
0: Well, also they lost the um, the colonies and there were a lot of administrators who needed a non-business occupation so they wanted to create a bunch of government agencies mm-hmm. for all of their friends coming back from India and yeah, Africa. Yeah, so and it's other the places, political but...
1: class, the bureaucrats. Guess what? They screwed us again. They're these these miserable little control freaks have destroyed civilization throughout civilization and we we, we we can't recognize that this is the problem. We'd be out of trouble. If, my, 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 uh, if I was to be... Um, if I was to be chairman of the of the GOP uh, and the Republican National Committee, I'd I'd never lose an election again because I would say to the American people, here's the position of the Republican Party from now on. No re-election to the same office. Period, full stop. That's it. We believe in a country of 320 million people that, that once you've been here two years, your information's obsolete. We if you do a great job as a representative, then fine, run as a senator. No re-election, no lobbying, no control, no money, no no spending half of my term to get elected for the next term. Nope. Nope, we figure if this guy did a great job, he can go back and get back in his business and somebody else back there, can come forward with new problems that occurred during the last two years. And if we said that, we'd never lose. And if we said that and did it, we'd be unbeatable because we wouldn't have this perpetual political class. And, and Washington isn't governed by representatives and senators. It's governed by the immortal, in, invisible, anonymous bureaucracy. Yeah. There are guys I talked to a senator in Arizona just as a quick aside, and this certainly happens on the federal level. This guy was a conservative, got elected into Arizona, and he started getting bills written. He was a lawyer, wrote some bills, and he, and he, looked, at the, he looked at the text of the bill as it was finished by his staff. And they not only changed the words of its stuff, and they completely inverted the, the intent because these bureaucrats are saying, hold on a minute. This bill is going to reduce uh, salaries and it's going to cut jobs. so We'll just change the language a little bit. You know, people need to be in jail. And tarred and feathered, you know, if it weren't for the other, um, they'd just as soon walk.
0: A thing I wanted to touch on, and I, I just did a show on this this today, so I'll just at least give my side very briefly, about this um, this crying commander-in-chief over gun mm. control, I I don't, yeah. like, I'd, I don't even know what to say. I mean... I don't buy it. Well, um, first of all, okay, so Obama seems to be really interested in keeping weapons out of the hands of bad people. Um, you don't get a lot of play in the media about this basic fact that he is about the biggest arms dealer the world has ever seen. That's he right. actually, it, in the first five years, he sold more arms abroad than George Bush did during his entire eight-year term. And not just abroad. He sold $47 billion or $44 billion worth of um, Apache helicopters and missiles and tanks to the Saudis. The Saudis, for God's sakes. Can we get a background check on the medieval despots from the middle? Like... Like uh, the Saudis, who like were the majority of the 9/11 nine eleven hijackers came from Saudi 9, Arabia, the like, America supplying weapons, and he's concerned that some guy who who got treated for depression might get hold of a Saturday Night Special.
1: There's so much to say about that. First of all, not just sold uh, billions of dollars of guns overseas; the number of guns he sold domestically is incredible. Somebody said if you look at the the just at the stock share position of Smith and Wesson at the beginning of the Obama presidency versus today. I mean, seriously, a, a fifty thousand dollar investment then would make you a millionaire today. He sold more guns than anybody in American history, and rightfully so. Uh, you know, yeah, to be there crying and, and then to, have, to be seen wiping it away, you know, this is really the essence of what this guy is, right? He's the guy who plays the role of the greatest president in history, and the media plays the same, they're reading off of the same script. He's the smartest man to ever live, he's he's a multicultural guy, he's, you know, he's well-educated, he understands all sides of the issue, but the country's just too stupid for him. country's too stupid and too primitive for him, how hard it must be to be Barack Obama to see so much to see so much truth and so much justice and to be unable to 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 enforce these these simple obvious things on this brutal stupid population you know this country does this president deserves a better country really is the attitude of obama and the media it's like look at the man you've reduced him to tears you miserable savages who want to defend your own lives for some uh, obscure reason when nobody even knows who you are you don't even we don't even know who you are we never heard your name before you live in des moines for god's sakes what do you want to live for you know it's like uh, you know the 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 raw nerve of this country and how 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 awful it must be to be obama and to be that Incredibly deep and kind and just and wise and 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 and, you know sensitive, it's enough to make a grown man cry when you think about it. And I don't buy it. I know what stagecraft is. I could start crying now if I really wanted to. You know, I think about you know big scary head.
0: Yeah, I I feel that he looks at the American population like uh, Michelangelo would look at a bundle of sticks and say, "I don't think I can make a David out of this because it's just a bundle of sticks." Poor sticks, how sad. (laughs) And uh, I just, uh, to me, gun control is one of these basic intelligence tests. Like when people say, oh, the government went out and created 500 jobs. Like idiots say, good, 500 jobs, we got 500. And the smart people say, okay, well, what about the 1,500 jobs that weren't created because you took all this money to create these jobs? With gun control, people say, well, people with guns did bad things, so let's get rid of the guns. It's just, it's like, do you have an IQ of 90 or below? Okay, then you'll be sympathetic to that position. The smarter people say, well, what about the two and a half million crimes every year that are prevented? Because people... People have guns. They don't make the headlines because they're prevented. What about the fact that Americans have guns, unlike people in England, so there are far fewer home invasions because people don't know who's got. You don't even have to have a gun to to gain the penumbra benefit of people who have guns. And um, it's just one of these tests. Can you
1: see how weepy I've gotten hearing you say all those hateful uh, things? Yeah. (laughs) When I think about the amount of, of, of criticism that this president has to endure, honestly, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Big, hug. I'm sorry. Big hug. when I think about all that Barack Obama has to endure and, and, and the injustice of it, it just is enough to make me weep. I mean, this can't possibly be stagecraft on my part, right? I mean, it can't just no. be, possibly be the fundamental rhetorical skill that everybody who has to be successful in communication can do, right? I don't believe you, Barack. I'm sorry. I don't believe you. I don't believe that four years after the fact, you are moved to tears at the very moment that the cameras are rolling. I don't believe you you have no policies, your entire presidency is an utter failure, and you're crying for sympathy, it is the last trick you have in the bag, That is that makes me happy, makes me smile, makes me smile seeing you cry, because it makes me realize you literally have nothing left. In fact, you really begin the press conference by saying, essentially, these nonsensical procedures that I'm going to enforce against the will of the people and by grossly exceeding my my uh, legal limitations in the Constitution will have not have affected Sandy Hook in any way. They wouldn't have impacted Sandy Hook in any way. So we're going to begin the discussion by saying these are utterly meaningless, utterly meaningless regulations that I'm going to impose on you that wouldn't have made any difference at all. But it's so emotional for me that I'm going to just burst into tears over it. And it's like, you know what, dude, if you're going to burst into tears about Sandy Hook, why don't you do the real thing? Why don't you just say, no, guns are illegal and we're coming to get them all. If you're going to, if you're going to make the dramatic play, make the script live up to the performance, right? I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to go to all the trouble of crying and getting all the liberals in the country to go, oh, it's terrible to live in this awful place, then just do the deed. You know, if you're going to use executive order to steal our freedom, then steal it. You know, it's, the guy is such a lightweight. There's so much nothing there. It's, I don't know, he's made of neutrinos or something. You know, he's he's, he's got this kind of form, but he's got no mass. There's It's kind of a, it's a sort of a, I don't know. I, I don't think he throws a reflection, and I don't think he weighs anything. I think he's a. I think he's a projection of some kind.
0: Yeah, I mean if you've ever seen pictures of him working out with those little girl guide tassel weights. I mean it really is with <laughs> helium balloons type them. It yeah. out, man. I
1: think I can explain the whole thing. Somewhere I must have had my in an alternate universe, I must have actually gotten to a to a as I've always wanted to be a, a a command of Mars mission. I probably found a cave in Mars or something. And and undoubtedly what happened was I went down into these subterranean caverns and I found the giant Krell mine machine. And Barack Obama is the personification of all of my horrid dreams and nightmares, all of my worst anxieties and fears manifested by this giant space machine, because I don't see what the guy does other than just simply make people like us nutty. If That's actually a good thing. It really is if you get down to it, because if you think about the fact that this guy's had the reins of power for eight years now, and all he's accomplished is well, he's, he's destroyed everything. He's, he's managed to erode everything. But in terms of structurally, right, He's written all these executive orders that can simply be unwritten by the next president. Executive order number one for Ted Cruz or Trump or whoever, uh, avoiding all previous executive orders. That legacy has gone. And the only thing he's got on the table is Obamacare, which is disintegrating because of those iron laws of economics, which he just can't stand. What has this guy's legacy been? Is there one person ever – I know they won't admit it, but is there one person – honestly, I'm asking one person – in this country who, in the dark of night, who voted for him in 2008, is not disappointed with this guy? Is there one person who thinks, man, I thought he was awesome in 2008, but he blew all my expectations out of the water?
0: Right. I don't know. I mean, the fact that he brought up Obamacare, you know, he's, oh, you can keep your doctor. It turns out not to be true. Oh, we're going to save you $3,500 a year. Not telling me that's costing thousands. I mean, that's I mean, how does the, the guy can with a straight face? I mean, he's got to be mental, like like, like seriously insane this because he can bring this stuff up. He can't. He.
1: This is the point. He can't even fail competently. That's kind of what I'm saying. It's not like Obamacare caused people to riot in the streets and the country fell apart. And the next thing you know, there's smoking ruins. He can't even destroy the country competently. It's obviously his mission. He was brought into power by this giant wave of liberals. He was going to be the guy who was going to heal race relations, right? He was going to get us into a post-racial future. Just the fact that white America, predominantly white America, elected a black president meant that was the end of it. It was over. This was our evidence to the black American community. This was the evidence that the white community in overwhelming proportions, is not in fact racist, we're gonna turn the keys of the government over to this to this unqualified, unknown individual, specifically and only because he's black, therefore we're doing what the Europeans are doing, right? The Europeans are atoning for their Nazism, we're atoning for our slavery, we're going to this utterly emotional, utterly ridiculous, catastrophic, ruinous polity, policy to show everybody that we're not guilty of something and you know what? People like you and I are not affected by this disease because I'm not responsible for what my dad did. And I'm not responsible for what my granddad did or my great, 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 great grandfather. My great, 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 great grandfather could have been Nathan Bedford Forrest and it wouldn't affect me because I didn't do it. The fact that my grandfather came here from England in 1915 doesn't have any meaning to the people who talk about my white privilege and it's all based on slavery. My family wasn't here while there were slaves in America. My family was in Lancashire in a little town called Wigan and they were cotton carters working in a, in a, in a, in a, uh, in a textile mill six hours a day t- uh, six days a week 10 hours a day in freezing cold conditions and before that they were coal miners so i'm not i'm not susceptible to this argument i don't buy it i never did buy it i didn't own any slaves and therefore i'm not responsible for slavery i'm not benefiting from slavery because i never owned any slaves and likewise if you were not a slave yourself you you were not a victim of slavery now they'll say well uh, we didn't have to rehash this whole thing you know america was built on the back of slavery no the confederacy the conf- not 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 just the confederacy specifically the cotton the cotton industry in the confederacy was in fact built on the back of slaves and that was utterly destroyed with the civil war and utterly burned to the ground and structurally and physically and and philosophically and politically it burned to the ground in 1865 and everything that's happened after the civil war has been by paid laborers working hard for a living. There have been a lot of blacks that have been a part of that. A lot of blacks were a big part of the manufacturing boom in the North and so on. That's, that's, that's the labor that they, that they earned. But this whole idea that this is, this is a, the result of slavery, there's nothing in this country that survived the Civil War that was the result of slavery.
0: Well, and I mean, the fact is that only four or five percent of whites in America own slaves anyway. So if whites are somehow collectively guilty for slavery, there are more black criminals as a percentage of population than there ever were white slave owners. I would never in my wildest dream say that the black community as a whole is responsible for criminality. So how on earth with, with even worse statistics or more beneficial statistics and fewer white people owning slaves and black people are criminals, can whites somehow be collectively responsible for slavery? Even if you take out the age gap, white people in general, hated slavery. It drove down wages. You were conscripted for these slave hunting expeditions. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, it was just and then, you know 600,000, 800,000 young men died supposedly fighting it. How on earth was slavery a benefit to the average white person? It's ridiculous. I mean, it was a hated institution by just about everyone except the slave owners and the government. That's right. And most of the Confederate officers and many of the
1: Confederate higher officers owned slaves, but virtually none of the men did. In fact, essentially none of them. You're not going to be in the ranks of the Confederate army if you've got slaves. You're going to be a colonel. You're going to be a general. And, and those guys did own slaves. But look, I don't know if we've had this conversation before. Because when, when we get into this kind of topic, it's important. I think it's important it, It's important to me to show how I really feel about this. And the way I really feel about this is, is to bring up, I think, the greatest tragedy in American history is not the Civil War. I think the greatest tragedy in American history is what happened after the Civil War. It's not slavery and it's not the Civil War. It's what happened after. If you want to get to a tragedy in the sense of like uh, uh, the truest meaning of tragedy, not the, just the flow, it's a tragedy, genuine meaning of tragedy where a good outcome could have happened, but then through some act of God or something, a horrible outcome happened. If that's the definition of tragedy, you have to have had a good outcome as a possibility. Otherwise, it's not a tragedy. So. After the Civil War is over, you have this giant ongoing debate that ran for years, decades probably, between two camps, and the two camps were headed by Booker T. Washington on one side and W.E.B. Du Bois on the other side, and basically, Booker T. Washington said, "Listen." We have to deal with the reality on the ground. We've been free to slaves. Most of us have no skills whatsoever. Most of us black Americans are going to have to go back and work on farms, and many of us are going to have to go back and work on the same farms we just left to slaves, and we'll be paid to do it. And we're going to have to do this because it's all we know how to do. But if we go back and work as farmers, our children will be mechanics, and their children will be doctors. And he said, basically, we cannot expect the white community to grant us respect. We're going to have to earn it. We're going to come into this culture with our own economy, with our own money, with our own jobs. We're going to hire white people to work for us. And we're going to come in as equals. And this is what he said. And that's why when he started the Tuskegee Institute, he had standards. And the Tuskegee Institute had a higher graduation rate than the the white average. It had a higher legitimacy rate than the white average in America. They were better citizens in virtually every way because he said this is how we have to earn the respect. Now, on the other hand, you have W.E.B. Du Bois who's basically saying, no, 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 white America, give us the power and the money, especially the money. And we, the talented 10th, that's the term he used, the talented 10th, the 10% of the black population that can actually think is essentially what W.E.B. Du Du Bois was saying. We, the talented 10th, will distribute this money and power down to the black community. And therefore, that's how we'll lift the whole race up. But guess what happens? You give, they won the argument, by the way, to the the unfettered disaster of the future of this country. And these black leaders then go out and what do they do? They do what Reverend White did. They took the money, and, and what Sharpton does and what Jesse Jackson does, they took the money, they kept it. They ginned up all this rage and indignation, didn't provide jobs, didn't provide any kind of help at all. And so right at this turning point in American history, at the, at, at the end of the 1800s, early 1900s, we went down the wrong road. And you, you can make a case. I think you can actually make the case that if, if Booker T. Washington had won that argument, if Booker T. Washington's attitude is we not only have to be as good as white people, we have to be better than them because that is the only way that we're going to be accepted as equals in this society. You could make the case that if we followed that rule and the evidence was he could do it because he did it at Tuskegee and the Tuskegee Airmen never, never lost a bomber. It's substandard training, it's substandard equipment. They were terrific pilots. You could make a case that if we followed that road, maybe black people would be almost like a priesthood. You'd go up to a black person and ask them for a translation of Latin or maybe you'd go to a black guy to ask him, how do I keep my family together? Or can you give me some kind of financial advice that I could use? You know, this is what happens when you hold people to a higher standard as individuals versus what happens when you tell them that all of your failures and all of your crime and all of your all of your uh, horrors and all of your dysfunction is due to something that happened 150 years ago. And and, and just believe me and I'll bring the money and the power and, and and then off he rides in his limousine and we never see the guy again. The catastrophe.
0: And it was a similar, I, I don't know, I'm sure it's similar in the US, but here in Canada, of course, it's the same thing with the native population as well. I didn't know well. we were in Canada. Yeah, can't you see the snow? I didn't know that. That's uh, just a giant wall of snow. Are you Canadian? Uh, I, I, well, I'm a Canadian well, citizen. This is, born, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. I was born in uh, I was born in Ireland. Uh, I grew up in England, awesome. uh, but uh, came to Canada when I was young. So, um, but um, yeah, so the natives, uh, you you give the money to the tribal chiefs, and what happens? I mean, they just basically hold people as hostages to to throw it at white guilt in case it ever wavers in its dedication to continually fire hose money in an attempt to buy off. Uh, unpleasant feelings of guilt, like you're praying to some Catholic priest. I That's mean, it's right. just a mess.
1: And and they take that they what they do is they use they use the white guilt to get the money, and then they distribute a percentage of it to the community, but not a big percentage of it. They get very rich off of this, and they live lives like kings, and they live among the whites. I mean, let's just just speak the truth here. Why don't we? Let's just speak the truth. Why don't we? If Reverend Wright preaches about all of this white oppression. And the first thing he does when he's made his millions of dollars in that church is move into a white community. Let's just speak the truth about it. So they gin up all this resentment. They gin up all this rage. They get money from the guilt from the white community. And in order to make the scam continue to work, instead of lifting the black community up, because if they actually lift the black community up, they're out of a job, right? Frederick Douglass talked about these kind of people all the time. And Martin Luther King talked about these kind of people all the time. But if they raise the black community up, they're out of a job. So what they do is they continue to to provoke the sense of rage and the sense of, 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 of entitlement and the sense of injustice and keep people poor and keep them violent because ultimately that's the second half of the of the scam. The carrot is we're gonna use white guilt to get the money and the stick is we're gonna say, well if we don't get the money, these streets are just gonna they're just gonna catch fire. If we don't continue to get the money, then then you know your, your cities are gonna burn to the ground. And we, we don't want it's that a shakedown. we don't want that to happen, right? So so yeah. so this attitude, this W.E.B. Du Bois pathway that we took as a nation has kept five generations now, six generations of black Americans in slavery. When what, when what Booker T. Washington not only talked about, but actually achieved was, in fact, it's not, like a, it's not like a hypothetical alternative. He was doing it. If you look at, just look at the standard of, of, of um, if you watch like uh, Boardwalk Empire, we're, you know, there there's a tremendous amount of of actual racism in there, but you can see some of the educated blacks in Boardwalk Empire, in the early 1900s, and these these people are playing the piano and they they're getting their master's degree and they're, and they're, you know you look like guys like Scott Joplin. Or Thelonious Monk, they're writing this incredible music. This, and, and now, you know, what are you going to say to these guys? What are you going to say to Martin Luther King and Frederick Douglass and Thelonious Monk and Scott Joplin and all the rest of these guys? If you show them what rap culture is and you show them what's being sung about and, and the, the, the musical score is tick, 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 boom, tick, 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 boom, you look at the score from something like Solace or something, it's, it's a masterpiece. It's, it's the American catastrophe, this decision. And nobody talks about it. I think Booker T. Washington's one of the greatest Americans who ever lived. I think he's one of the greatest people who ever lived because like so many people, what makes our, what makes our philosophy work? Why, why is the West successful? Why successful? Because we say you are an individual. You are the master of your own destiny. If we create a society where you can work as hard as you want to or as little as you want to and give you the opportunity to unleash your own passion for your own life's control, then everybody goes up and, the black community was deprived of that. That's my white privilege. Actually, I do have a white privilege. My white privilege is that no one ever told me that anybody else other than me was responsible for my multiple failures. And I have failed so many times (laughs) in my life, I can't even tell you. This is the fifth or sixth business I've run. The other ones were just flaming wreckage. But my white privilege, my white privilege (laughs) is that I didn't get to blame those other failures on anybody else. I had to look at myself and say, what did you do wrong last time, you idiot? Oh, Maybe I should have paid the taxes or, oh, maybe because I can't do accounting, maybe I should hire an accountant or, oh, maybe I didn't know about – whatever, right? I didn't get to blame it on anybody else. I didn't have the luxury of blaming it on anybody else and I certainly didn't have somebody behind my shoulder telling me all the time, hey, man, it's not your fault. It's not your fault that you that you screwed this thing up. It's not that you were either too lazy or you didn't know what you were doing. It's not because you didn't work hard enough. It's because they were trying to keep you out of the business, man. You know, All the big liberals were trying to keep you out of the business. No, I didn't have anybody to blame but myself. So –
0: Boop. Oh yeah, I mean the the white guilt industry is literally like Iago whispering in Othello's ear, yes. propelling him to self destructive actions uh, nonstop, and uh, we have to keep pushing about it.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? That's exactly what it is. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a it's kind of like this 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 evil voice of this white courtier, Machiavellian kind of it, it certainly the most evil character that Shakespeare ever wrote. He's the epitome of evil. And he's constantly telling you, you know, he's constantly telling you, oh, no, the thing that you think is virtue is not virtue. Uh, the 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 worst of human nature prevails, and 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 even though you want to believe in the good, it's actually the evil. And he commits this horrible murder of the woman he loves because of this because of this poison. It's literally poison. That's how they used to poison people. They put like heavy metal in your ear, and and you know, you just die from mercury in your ear. They would poison your ear while you're sleeping, and that's what these people are doing. They're poisoning the ears of 30 million people while they're sleeping, and filling them with resentment and rage where there should have been filling them with a sense of achievement, a sense of possibility, a sense of, 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 of control over their own destiny. And that's what they would have done if they were responsible. That's what they would have done if they loved their own communities, but they don't, they want the money and the power and they will send their community to hell. If you ever seen Baltimore, downtown Baltimore on a Saturday night, it's as pretty close to hell as you're going to get on this planet. They're going to commit, they're going to commit their own people to a life of hell, so that they can get the money and the power that they do not have the, the, the intelligence or the hard work for to go out and get on their own.
0: As the song says, meet the new boss, the same, yeah, same, same as, as the, the old boss. Exactly All right, right, Bill, i got to um, finish up the interview. Always oh, a great great pleasure to chant. For my listeners, please, please, please go to BillWhittle.com. Uh, and uh, get uh, speeches, get materials. Uh, it, well, you know, if you get a chance to see Bill speak live, I haven't had as yet the opportunity. Otherwise, you would have heard my jealous hackling from the audience. But if you get <laughs> the chance up, to see you. Bill speak live, yeah, yeah, call that a haircut. <laughs> but um, yeah, get, uh, you got to watch Bill's stuff, uh, read Bill's stuff. It's, it's fascinating and entertaining. And I also wanted to put forward one last apology uh, on behalf of my listeners uh, who um, railed against you as a statist. That's and uh, from expected. their perspective— Yeah, from their perspective, a status is anyone who likes government at all. The technical definition, which I actually went to check, is somebody who believes that the government should have a substantial role. Not a role at all, a substantial role in society, which is certainly not you. You want about as much government as I want a mohawk. And uh, so um, you are not a statist by that definition and uh, people were wrong to rail you against it. and You were entirely right to rail back and I just wanted to get behind and help you shoulder that burden. I know it's been keeping you up at night. Yeah,
1: I, I, Actually, the second I got it out of my system, I got it out of my system. There's all terms – we all have terms that we're that – we're, you, you, when you're in this line of work, you expect certain attacks. You expect to be called a Nazi. You expect to be called a racist. You get sp- that, that, that's fine. A misogynist. All that stuff. That's fine. I don't care because I'm speaking the truth. But the one thing that, that, that does get under my skin is when I get called something, which is the opposite of what I'm fighting for. It's the, it's the, it's the antithesis of what I'm fighting for. And that got under my skin. But um, the, the sentence I like, I just think it's actually kind of pithy. It's like, here's what I want. I, I, I don't want a big state. I want a government that would fit inside the box it originally came in. That's what I want. I want a limited government that fits inside the box it originally came in. And I want if somebody asked me what the ideal society would be for human beings, it would be a society that followed the Constitution of the United States precisely as written without another without another comma in it, but enforced enforced enforced. Commerce Clause right. enforced in its original meaning, and 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 the separation of powers are enforced, and and the spending is enforced, and the and the growth of all these agencies like the uh, 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 Bureau of Land Management and the Department of Energy and the EPA they don't exist. They don't exist because they're because they're not legal. They're not justified
0: so billwhittle.com i'm at freedomainradio.com always a great pleasure bill i'm sure we'll talk again and uh it's good to see you looking hale and hearty in the new year
1: it's gonna be an adventure ride i'm gonna get a i'm gonna get a little scrunchy uh because because are you going to any of the conventions um you know i i I might make an appearance at cpac i i i I, for some reason i just didn't think you know i made a whole lot of sense for me to be at the single greatest conservative you know convention uh there you mean am i going to be at the republican convention or anything
0: are you go- yeah. I mean, we're, we're just by the by. We're thinking of going to do some man on the street stuff. Well, then so let's we'll go. To, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I'd be. would love to go. Let's, I have no let's plans to go,
1: but um, you know, we can stand there and watch the parade go by. We can wave, you know.
0: We can oh, have no, a, I'll, I'll do some shows uh, talking to some people. Uh, I want to find the anti-Trump people and just dig into what, the, what their issues are. But uh, well, maybe, we, we'll, we'll let you know what we're doing in case we can yeah, uh, meet up. We be can fun. make up
1: matching fi- signs that say, I'm with stupid. We can just stand there <laughs> know, and just, uh, just hold them and, um, and, and, you know, get get a dollar per picture or something out of it. Excellent. Thanks, buddy. Great
0: to chat with you, Bill. Always. I'm sorry i got to run. My daughter is uh, lurking around the house and i got to get back to parenting. But always a real pleasure, man. And uh, we'll let you know when this is up and we'll talk to you soon. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Take care, man.